I tried my best to find the, the best coronation scene either from, from YouTube. Like, I looked at the coronation of Charles III and, and Queen Elizabeth, but they're like three and a half hours long and kind of drawn out, kind of dull, all right? So I went to film, decided, let's go with movies, and I thought, okay, maybe Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. Even that, just the, the tempo of it is a little bit low. Um, even Frozen, Elsa's coronation wasn't very well attended. It's coronation day. Anna was really the only one excited about that, okay? So I came to Thor, and why would I play this for you? Why would I play this coronation scene for you? Um, we're currently in a series called Songs of Yesterday, and in it we've looked at some of the, the classic hymns, some of the greatest worship songs ever written. And in that we've discovered that as we know more about the stories behind the music, the theology within the songs, um, maybe not just the origin stories, but ways these songs have been used. We've learned those songs, and what we found is that when we have a deeper understanding of it, it changes the way that we sing the song. And in turn, it changes the way that we worship. And so the song that, uh, that Philip mentioned that we're talking about today is All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. This was a song written by a man named Edward Perronette, who was a contemporary of John and Charles Wesley. And this song, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, is considered the national anthem of Christendom, okay? Now, when we think of the national anthem, we think of our very own, don't we? We think of the Star-Spangled Banner. Um, that is an anthem. That is a song sort of sung to the kingdom of the United States, even though that we're not a kingdom. We hear this song at the Olympic Games. We hear this song at, played before a sporting event or some uh, maybe military of feast or festival that we are at, um, but, uh, but in the same way that the Star-Spangled Banner is our national anthem, all hail the power of Jesus' name is considered the anthem of all of Christendom. And when I say Christendom, what do I mean by that specifically? I'm not necessarily just talking about Jesus, but Christendom historically refers to any Christian state, any Christian empire, um, Christian majority countries, uh, in places where Christianity has dominated, right? Uh, any place where Christianity has left its mark, uh, where the gospel has, has gone, where the gospel has affected that culture, that would be considered Christendom. So you can look at much of Western civilization, you can look at North America, uh, Europe especially, South America, um, any place where the name of Jesus has been preached and it has shaped that culture and it has shaped that environment. This song marks... Okay, this, this song is the one that marks his kingship as ruler over all of Christendom. And so if you brought your Bibles with you, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19. That's where uh, we're going to spend uh, the bulk of our time today and just looking at this story. Uh, but if you've paid attention along the way, we've talked about different hymns. And each of these hymns has described an attribute of Jesus along the way that we've focused our time on. So uh, first week we talked about it as well. Right? And so in as well, we see Jesus as the sustainer, our sustainer in pain, in loss. He is the reason that though life may hit us right between the eyes, though we may experience tragedy, he is the reason that we can say it is well. Uh, when we talked about joyful, joyful, we adore thee, we discovered that Jesus is the source of true joy that we have our own kind of joy. We talked about the off-brands and the brand name Jesus' joy is true joy, right? And the one that we should crave. Come thou fount that Jesus is the source of every blessing. And then this week, all hail focuses on the kingship 
of Jesus, okay? So, uh, looking at the coronation of Thor right before the ice monsters come and, and steal some kind of artifact. If you know, you know. Um, but we, we get sort of just this, uh, this feel of coronation, the coronation of a king. And there are, there are moments where Jesus begins to step into his kingship. There are times where uh, some of his disciples and his followers were wanting to rush to make him king, that he suppressed that. He wasn't ready to embrace that just yet uh, because of God's timing. Um, but most scholars pinpoint this story in the book of Luke as uh, sort of Jesus stepping into that role of king. And so you can pick it up in verse 28, Luke 19, 28, says this. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the moment, at the, excuse me, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two disciples, two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asked, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. Now, I'm, I'm curious if that's all that Jesus said or if there was more details to that. Because if I were a disciple, I would probably question Jesus' instruction, wouldn't you? That that's just all I need to say. That that's enough to be said. And so, verse 32, So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. 33, And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? Okay, so here's this moment, right, where the two disciples are getting asked that question, they look at each other, and they say, say what Jesus told you to say. Okay, okay, I got it, got it. <clears throat> the Lord has need of it. To which the owner replies, all right. And that's exactly what happened. And then they said, the Lord has need of it, and they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, real quick, um, anyone ever have a horse or a donkey, like ownership of it, okay? Um, it says here that, that no one has ever sat on this colt. Is it very easy for someone to ride on an animal that's never been ridden? Probably not, okay? Uh, so that tells us either one of two things. Either, either Jesus can ride donkeys better than Lane Frost can ride bulls, or... Okay, Jesus is master over all of creation, and all of creation submits to him, probably the second. Okay, so as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. This section of Luke is what's known as Jesus' triumphal entry. And so why, why a donkey? Of all things, like why a donkey? Um, I don't know if any of you have ever played donkey basketball. Anybody ever played donkey basketball before? A few people? Okay, yeah. If you know, you know. Um, I played donkey basketball once. It was a fundraiser whenever I was an associate pastor. And it's basically what it sounds like. Uh, there are people who own donkeys to, to lease them out and they handle the donkeys. But you go to a basketball court and they put these rubber shoes on the donkeys. And the idea is that you ride the donkeys and you have to pass. You have to be mounted on a donkey to shoot for your buckets to count. Now... The handlers of these donkeys know exactly what they're doing. There is no cool way to play donkey basketball. 
um, because they can either get the donkeys to run in the opposite direction, they can get the donkeys to stay still, they can get the donkeys to do whatever. And so I spent most of my time off my donkey trying to drag the donkey into the paint so that I could create a paint presence to score the basket, right? Because I felt like my odds were good inside the paint. So um, donkey is, is just not a very flattering, cool, helpful animal, especially as it pertains to basketball. I know they've got their purposes, but, but not only did, did this point of Jesus riding a donkey um, contribute to, to his humble nature, but it was actually customary that if a king rode into a city on horseback, that was indicative of war. That was indicative of conflict to say, uh, I, I'm here to conquer you. I'm here to, to reign and to rule in, in this manner. Uh, but a king who would enter a city on a donkey, instead, it was a symbol of peace. It was a symbol of, of love. It was a symbol of, I mean you no harm. I come in peace. Um, the coronation of King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 1, King Solomon rode through the city on a donkey to communicate uh, his, that he was um, peaceful. And so it's a difference, horse and donkey, a difference in war and peace. Jesus rides into the town as the king of peace or as the prince of peace, as we often give him that title. And so now Jesus, this messianic king, enters the city, uh, prophesied as the, prophet, as the prophet Zechariah uh, prophesied 600 years prior. Okay, So Isaac, uh, Zechariah gave this prophecy more than 600 years before. This is what he said. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. This is where Jesus is riding into. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, not just a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. Okay, so th thus he enters the city as the king of peace. And so when Jesus does this in Luke chapter 19, and this story is told in several places throughout the Gospels, but when he does this in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is fulfilling one of many prophecies that were written about him. This one in particular, written 600 years before he goes on his donkey ride. Right? So unlike Alexander the Great who rode on horseback, this king comes on the back of a donkey in peace. Now, what does the kingship of Jesus really have to do with us? Like, what is the kingship of Jesus? How, does it, how is it relevant to us as Americans in 2023? Um, because the United States was a country found with sort of this anti-king stance, right? Right? Um, we, we, wanted to be, we wanted to represent ourselves, no taxation without representation. Uh, we believed, we knew what was better for us than some king, an ocean away, taking our money, deciding what he wants to do with it, right? Our countries run differently. So if we want to make decisions, if we want to make changes, we vote, right? We get a group of people together, we decide what's good, what's bad, we vote on that thing, we vote the people into office, hopefully they make changes for us, right? We can... We can we feel like we can count on those votes for the most part. Insert any voter machine joke you want to right there. Um, but, but this is the system that we have decided. Uh, it, it is a flawed system. It is not a perfect system. But it is probably the least bad system of them all. Right? The democracy. And it's not a bad way to run a government. But it is a bad way to see Jesus. Okay? So, so give me some liberties here as, as we, it, no illustration is perfect, okay? I want you to imagine for a minute that Jesus is president, 
Sounds pretty good at first, right? Like he could make some policies that we can agree with, make some changes, so on and so forth. Um, but I want you to think about how does every American treat the president? Not always great, right? Like there's someone, there, no matter who's in office, there's always somebody that is going to absolutely love the president, love everything that they're about. There's some people that, for the most part, are trying to cheer for them, root for them, critical of this policy. And then there's some people that will outright hate the president. doesn't matter if it's a Republican. doesn't matter if it is a Democrat in office. And there are lots of people, too, and, and you know some of them, that will blame the president for everything. Right? If the economy's bad... It's the president's fault. If, uh, if we're too soft or too hard on the border, it's the president's fault. If this topic gets too much, too, talk, too much talked about in their administration, it's the president's fault. Uh, if gas is too much, it's the president's fault. Um, there, are, there are Americans that blame the president for things that don't even have to do with them. And now to be fair, right, the president is connected and responsible for a lot, right? Their administration is responsible for many things. But there are some people who, who may get fired from their job for being lazy, right? And they would say, you know, if it wasn't for the sleepy Joe economy that we're in, I wouldn't have to work nearly as hard. Now, that may not have much to do with who's in office. That might have more to do with your work ethic, right? And, and I'm pretty sure for the last 40 years, every single president has been consider, considered the Antichrist at one point or another. So, so being president... It's a job with a lot of criticism, a lot of blame, a lot of hate thrown your way, whether, whether deserved or undeserved, to be fair. Okay? And we often talk to and about Jesus like he is president. Right? What do we want to do? Like we want to be his political advisors. Okay, we want to say, you know, Jesus, I really like what you're doing here. I think, I think what you say in Matthew 13, that's going to play well to your right-wing base. Okay, this 1 Corinthians 13, okay, Democrats are going to love this, so, so the right's going to have some problems here. I, I really think that you should maybe sort of avoid this question as much as you can, just sort of give some misdirection. And personally, Lord, I think that maybe you could, you could do something, you could change my life this way, you know, but, but, but fill in the blanks. Right? We have all of these suggestions for Jesus and the ways that he should do things when things aren't going well in our lives, when things aren't going well in the world. And we have all these things that we think that he should address. He is not your president. He is your king. And in a kingdom, the king rules. The kingdom of God is not a republic, and you do not have a voice. You may have voted or, or hired in the man in the White House. We may say that, that the man in the White House, the people in the White House, works for us. But Jesus was not voted king by you or by me. He did not squeak in with a 51% vote majority. He, did not, he does not need our endorsement. He doesn't need my vote or your vote. He was king before you and I were born. He was king before time began. And so it's healthy and it's good and it's right for us to have our minds just sort of switch gears, okay, and wrap our minds around this, that he is king, that he reigns, that he rules, and that the kingdom in which we live belongs to him. And now, the good news is that he is not a tyrant. The good news is that he is a good king. And that if you submit to his kingdom, if you submit to his kingship, you will live and thrive and be blessed in a way like you never imagined. 
and he does work for us. Praise God, he works for us, but not as our employee, not as our president, but as our king. And this song is his anthem. And so what I want to do is I want, to, I want us to walk through a couple lines, a couple verses of this anthem. And what you'll notice as you walk through this is that there are, it reads differently for different people groups. You have different groups of people praising God and acknowledging Jesus as king. Okay, so in the opening verse goes like this. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Not prostate fall, that's different. But let angels fall on their faces before King Jesus. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Diadem is another word for a crown. The only crown that Jesus wore on this earth was the crown of thorns that was put on his head in a very mocking way uh, in his claim to be Jesus. And so what you see here in this very first verse is you have angels falling on their faces before King Jesus, the heavenly bodies declaring his kingship. And then the second verse reads like this, O seed of Israel's chosen race, now ransom from the fall. Hail him, hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. In this verse, we see a different group. We see God's people. We see God's chosen people. We see the Jewish people. We see those who have come to know Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as King. They hail Jesus as King. In this next verse, I want to read to you and tell you a story. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball... To him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. To him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. There was a missionary by the name of E.P. Scott who took, he and his wife took a trip to India and went to India to serve as missionaries in 1862. And they began taking language classes, learning the dialects of, of the different people groups in that region. And so after serving faithfully, diligently for seven years, um, Scott became convinced that God had called him to take the gospel to the unevangelized Naga tribes. Now, the Naga tribes uh, were a brutal uh, tribe of headhunters, okay, brutal and cruel. They were so brutal that before a young man within the tribe was allowed to marry, he had to kill at least 30 of his enemies, after which he would then shrink their heads and wear them around their neck as a necklace. Right? Bling, bling. Looks a little bit different than us today, doesn't it? It's like, oh, he went to Jared. No, that is Jared. Okay? So, so, after, so after accomplishing this feat, he would be considered brave enough to defend his wife. Okay? Uh, so it's safe to say that within this tribe, there, there were probably not many uh, soft, effeminate males who like to read poetry and paint, right? Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying you probably wouldn't have fit in this culture very well. Um, and can you imagine asking, asking that uh, daughter's dad for her hand in marriage? 
right? And the father going to his daughter saying, look, sweetheart, this clown has only has 25 confirmed kills. Our bare minimum is 30. You know that. Look, I'm sure he's a great guy. I got your mom with 50. I'm just not sure if, he's, if you're ready for this yet. I'm not sure if he's really thought much about this. I at least need to see like a five-year plan from him um, if, if this is going to work for you, okay? And so E.P. Scott is said to have taken... Okay, felt this strong call from the Lord. And so E.P. Scott has said to have taken his Bible and his violin to this, uh, to this particular tribe. And on his way, these, tribe, these tribesmen encountered them. Okay, so I'm going to need some of my tribesmen to come up. And I had to sort of recruit on, a, on the fly. And so, and so he took his Bible and he took a violin with him. And before he got to their camp, he was all of a sudden surrounded by, by these tribesmen surrounded, there we go, right? And to answer your question, yes, the tribe did have gingers and blondes within it, okay? So we're being historically accurate here. So E.P. Scott is surrounded by these tribesmen, and, and as they drew near uh, to kill him, the spears were more at the heart than the face. Okay, let's, there we go, that's better. All right, good. So E.P. Scott stopped right he, he stops and he bends down and he opens his violin and he begins to play with his eyes closed all hail the power of jesus name and as he played the first verse he played the second verse and he got to this verse and this line let every kindred every tribe on this terrestrial ball and when he hit this line he opened his eyes and he began to see the tribesmen lower their spears and tears come out of their eyes. And E.P. Scott would go with those tribesmen. Girls, y'all can sit down. Give them a hand. They did great. E.P. Scott would go on to, to live with this tribe for about two and a half years, leading many of these tribesmen to faith in Christ. And so as Philippians 2.10 says, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, it's just a matter of when. Will they do that on this side of eternity? Will they do it on that side of eternity? And so even in places where, where uh, Christendom has not been affected, where the gospel has not been taken, um, this man's study of the language, um, Jesus' reign and rule, his kingship is acknowledged uh, by people who had never even heard of him. And so how can this truth that Jesus is king, be helpful to us today. Um, first of all, I think it's helpful for us to identify areas of our lives where we have seen Jesus as president and not as king, right? Places and areas of our lives where we have complained, where we've blamed, uh, where we've wanted God to do this. It, like it's, it's good and right for us to identify within ourselves where we have treated God, where we have treated uh, Jesus in such a manner and that we should worship and inhale him as king. But um, the other thing that I think that can be very helpful to us today is, is when Zechariah described what Jesus would do, what King Jesus would do more than 600 years prior, that Jesus would go on this infamous donkey ride at this time in history to usher in his kingship, to, to usher in his own coronation. Like The God that's able to pinpoint that moment and foretell that moment to foretell that coronation so far in the future. Like, if we can wrap our minds around that for a minute, don't you think that he can handle your tomorrow? 
right? Don't you think that he can, he can bear the weight of what's going on in my life, in your life, that this God who is so precise, this God who is so good? The great thing about, about Jesus is not that he's king, but it's that he's a good king, that he's a loving king, that he's a kind king, and he comes to his people. He comes to you, and he comes to me on a donkey in peace and in love. But one day, as the book of Revelation in verse 19 tells us, that he will return not on a donkey, but on a white horse. His robe will be, he'll, he'll be wearing a robe dripped in blood. His eyes will be like flames of fire. And on his head, he will wear many crowns. And this king will defeat sin and death and evil for all time. He is a, a fierce king. He is a mighty king. And he is a wonderful king. And he is for me, and he is for you. And if he is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Lord, we celebrate you this morning as, as our king, not as a, as a tyrant that rules over us and that wants us to fall in line and wants us to, to do exactly what you tell us to do, but as, as a life-giving king, as a king who is worthy of our praise, a king who is worthy of... Uh, of our of our servanthood, who is a king who is worthy of our uh, obedience, Lord. I, I, God, we just thank you and we celebrate you this morning. And God, as we as we lift our voices to sing to you, God, help us to make much of you. Help us to make much of you as Savior. Help us help us to make much of you as Lord, and help us to make much of you as King. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.